continuing in our series. I, I, I toyed with jumping off for a special service today um, and a, a different passage, but I want to go to our series. So 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. Uh, we've entitled the series, The Joy of Knowing, Knowing the Father, Knowing God, The, the, the Joy of Knowing Him, and the, the joy that we have as we begin on our journey as a, as a believer of knowing God. And so this morning, we're going to be in the first three verses of 1 John chapter 3. And if you would follow along and read them together with me, you quietly, I'll read aloud. To see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, by Your power and by Your might, we come to You today. Thank You for bringing us here. Thank You for the opportunity we have to look at your word. So in our time, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts to understand. Make your word clear to us. Make it so that we understand, but also that we act upon it. May it find comfort and joy in our heart. May it do the work that you have for us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So Friday night, I was upstairs. I was downstairs at the house, and I heard laughing going on. Lauren and Ben were back home, and Will was there, and Sarah, all upstairs, and I heard this laughing, so I didn't want to be left out of the party, so I went upstairs, and uh, I think William had broken out the VHS tapes, yes, we still have one in our house, a player even, and uh, he had popped in uh, the the birth of Lauren, Um, so that's all I'll say, I won't say anything else, but if I say any more, I'll have to pay for royalties for for those I mentioned, but uh, as we were watching, it was kind of funny. I will say a family member who is not here uh, did swear to us that he would not pick up the baby, Lauren, until she was at least potty trained. Um, he was a little worried about that. Uh, and so we were watching that, and it started bringing back so many memories to those years for me. And as a dad, I, I went back to those times, and uh, the time that as we were taking her from the hospital, it was icy out, and I was coming down the back ramp, I almost slipped and dropped my newborn baby. Um, my wife would have never forgiven me for that. And I remember the times of just growing up and uh, how I wasn't all that great of a dad. I was learning on the, on the go, and, and my wife sometimes would, you know, you need to do this to take care of this, and yes, you need to learn how to change diapers, all of those things. But I learned how to be a father, uh, and we get on-the-job training. We don't really go to school for this. Uh, they don't have a co- class in college, and, and even if they did, we'd never remember it. So I was remembering what it was to be a father, and then from my perspective, those days were pretty cool. And it was a neat thing, the wonder of life. And there was responsibility and there was love. There was definitely love. And even as a child is hours old, you wonder how you could love a child like that so quickly when you really didn't know them a few hours before. And as I began to think about that later, as I sat down to study more, um, I thought about this passage how great a love the Father has bestowed or given to us. My thought was, I'm an earthly father. I am full of flaws and imperfections, and 
probably got it wrong more than I got it right, but we have a heavenly Father who is always kind and loving. See, John is writing this passage to a people who are believers. They're followers of Christ in churches, probably more Central Asia, maybe toward what we think of as Iran and that area. And they've had people come in and say that, that really this whole thing about God and Jesus, Jesus wasn't really God. In fact, God doesn't love us. He just kind of, kind of wound us up and set us on our way. And at some point, he'll bring us home and uh, we'll sort everything out. A lot, of, a lot of error going on in that time. And John's writing to people. And John's been pretty stern. He's been kind of naming names and uh, um, really dealing with the people who, who are deceiving the, the believers, the followers of Christ. In chapter 3, he begins to speak directly again to the believers and to show them God's love. And show them later on how the love of God interacts in the whole body. And he begins with this. I have really four points in three verses. I think we can make it through. Four points, three verses. Beginning of verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Behold, see, it's an imperative. He says, look, look at this. Stop. Gaze on this a moment. Look at what I'm writing here. And what I want you to do is I'm pointing my attention, your attention to the love of the Father. Look at this. Take note of this love of God the Father. Take a moment to reflect on this. Think about the extent of God's love. The extent of God's love was revealed when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. His son, the Father sent the Son, God the Son, to die upon the cross. The extent of the love was, was more than we could humanly understand. We who were rebellious, we were lost in our sins, we were as it were, shaking our fists in the face of God, sometimes figuratively, sometimes literally. He loved us. He sent his son. Think about the grace that God extended to us, the grace in his love. We know our love, our failings of love, the fickle nature of our love. And here God extends grace. He shows love by extending grace in such a way that we didn't deserve it. He gives it still. God's love is outrageous. It's hard to understand as humans because you and I would not love in such a way that God loves if, we treated, if he treated us the way we treat him. Outrageous love. Almost, almost too good to be true. And that really explains the character or gives us insight in the character of God's love. God's love, it's bestowed, it's a gift. It's something that we can't earn, we can't do enough good things. We can't work enough to do that. But the language here says it's not only a gift, it's a permanent gift. It's bestowed upon us. It's given to us in such a way that once it has been given, it's a permanent gift. We can't get rid of it. So because of God's love, John continues that we are to be called the children, we are called the children of God and such we are, literally, that children of God, we should be called or named. How can it be? Look at this. The love of the Father in such a way that we, we are called children of God. And that's God's prerogative. Understand that? It's God's prerogative to say, you're my child. You're my child. And with that comes all the rights and privileges of being a child of God. It's hard for us to understand such love, such greatness. 
He says, these are my children. And it's not just legal. Um, part of the neat process of, of fostering and adopting children is that day. We have some friends, and there's some even here. The day that comes when the legal system pronounces the kids yours. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And legally, they're yours. God does that too. Legally, we're his. But he also does a second thing. He says, you now have my nature. Okay? You have my nature. Now, that's, that's a whole other chapter, book, library to understand the nature of God given to us. Not just declarative, we're God's children. He's given within us his nature. What a gift he's bestowed upon us. As he continues, and, I, and the point number one is this, because of God's love, I am now God's child. Say that with me. Because of God's love, I am now God's child. See, if you've received Jesus as your Savior, you come to the point where you have placed your faith in Christ for salvation. I couldn't do it myself. I couldn't work my way. couldn't do anything, so I placed my faith. His grace saves me. If that's you today, you can say, because of God's love, not because of anything I did, because of God's love, I am now God's child. Let that sink in a minute. You're God's child. Now, maybe not. Those, this is the time to discuss that not every earthly father is a good example of a heavenly father. We tend to get our view of God from our fathers. Those of us who have the privilege to be fathers, that should scare us in a very fearful, frightening way. But even if your father was not a great example of a father, you have a heavenly father that loves you, that cares for you. Maybe the father was weak or absent or angry, distant, overly critical, or even abusive. That is not our God. That is not our father, our heavenly father. He is never weak. He is never absent. He is never distant. Except in those times that we distance ourselves from him, but he's always ready for his child. And his discipline is always in love. His discipline is always in love to bring us back to himself. And his love is boundless. It knows nothing that can constrain it. God's love. His mercy endures forever. God the Father is everything that I fall short of as an earthly father. This God is beyond anything an earthly father can be. So he can be trusted. And I think that's the thing. When you think about I'm a child of God, if indeed you are a child of God, I can trust the Father. I can trust the Father. I don't understand, Stacy, what's going on in my life. I don't understand how these people or these things, these circumstances, I don't understand, but you can trust the Father. Humans are sinful. We may be abandoned. We may be wronged and hurt. But if you're a child of God, you have refuge in Him. And so we can trust Him. Secondly, 
John begins in that end of the first, uh, first verse there. He says, For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. So he's established, because I am God's, uh, God's love, I am God's child. And here he brings another, um, another ramification of this, being God's child. He talks about this, about us not being understood, not being known. This, this gnosko is the word for knowing here, uh, one of the main words John uses. This, idea, this experiential, they don't know us, They've not, they can't grasp us here. Now we talked about a couple weeks ago, the world. What does that mean? And we said it is the ordered system of fallen humanity that is opposed to God. So he's thinking of the system of, of, of opposition to God. And he says those who are part of the world in this, this system does not know us. They don't get us. They don't understand or grasp us why we do what we do. Why we are, as a child of God, how we live, how we, anything about us. They don't understand us. Why? Because they don't know God. They aren't children of God. See, if you're enslaved in the system of sin, in this ordered system, if you are in that, you're not going to naturally get who God is and who the people of God are. And that's just natural. That's not something that we should, we should uh, really chafe at and as, as a believer, a follower of God. Uh, we understand we shouldn't expect people to act like believers, okay, followers of Christ. And we, yeah, and we should act later on. We should act like followers of Christ. It's funny because most unbelievers have a higher expectations of believers than believers have of themselves. But they don't get us. They don't understand us. And that has to be a concept here that John gives us. And secondly, the second point is because I'm a child of God, the world doesn't understand me. Now, why would John say that? By the Holy Spirit, he's, he's placed this. But he's talking about we're, we're living in this cosmos, this world, and then we have this ordered system that's opposed to God, and they're going to be opposed to us at, at some point. How do we live that out? See, there's either two ways, um, maybe three ways. Sometimes the believer says, I'm going to be as close to that ordered system as I can so I don't stand out and I don't get arrows shot at me. Others, they go over here to the other side. I'm going to be a hermit. I'm not going to be in the world at all. I'm just going to go live because I'm, I'm scared. I just want to get away from it. And Jesus said, you are in the world. I've, and he, he says in John, uh, the inner part of John, he said, God, I don't pray that you take them out. As he's praying his high priestly prayer. I don't pray that you take them out of the world. But you strengthen them. You give them strength in this. So John wants us to know, when you're a child of God, the world isn't going to understand you, but that's okay. That's okay. That gives you an opportunity to live out the life of Christ, which will come in the next two verses. It gives you an opportunity to understand. So predicated upon the world doesn't understand me, then we go to verse 2. Then we see in verse 2, he said, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. You know, as he uses the word beloved, dear, dearest friends, dear friends, those who I love. And John's going to set up a now and a not yet. I'm going to set up a now here for John says what's going on now and then a not yet, but what is to come thought here. So understand that. 
So literally, now children of God, we are, we are his children presently. See, the other thing John's saying is, is not only that we're the child of God and we'll have someday in heaven, today somehow right seems to be, the right side of me seems to be heaven on this side, I'm not sure. So someday we're in heaven. It's yes, positionally, yes, we're there. Positionally, now we're the child of God. We interact with him. We have all the rights and privileges. We may not be in his presence as far as in heaven yet, but we have everything that we need as a child of God. So we are his children. And then he, he says he will return. And we know Christ will return. And with John, there is no doubt in this. John does not entertain any doubt of the return of Christ. And that we know that we will be with him when he returns. That's the now. So we know that we will be with God. That's the understanding, the present understanding we have. But what about until then, the not yet of that fulfillment of that? Well, we know that Jesus returned. There's no doubt we'll be like him. But he says here, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Now, we are commanded throughout the New Testament to be like Christ. Um, 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, as he writes, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, But we all, with unveiled faith, face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord, the Spirit. What Paul is saying is we are being transformed as a child of God, becoming more and more like Jesus. So that we know that when he appears, we're going to be just like him. But we're on the process, on the path of becoming more and like, in theological terms, as progressive sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ. John says, we're a child of God, so there's purpose for us now. That purpose is to be more like Christ because we know he's going to appear. We're going to eventually be just like him in moral character, and every part, every way, not God, but the moral purity that is God's will be given to us. We'll have no more uh, curse of sin on us. It's coming. So number three, think of it this way. Because I am God's child, I desire to grow to be like Jesus. Look what he's saying in verse 2 again. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. But it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We are still in the progress, the process. And as a child of God, it should be my desire to be more like Jesus every day. Every day to continue to be more and more like him. To to grow in him. To desire that. It's not that we're going to be at some day 33 and a half years old and we're going to have a beard and, and uh, there's going to be plucked out. That's not, he's saying, we're going to have that character of God that he gives to us, that purity, because that's where he goes next in the third verse, that purity. See, the New Testament writers say the, the Christian life is not static. It's not in one spot. You're growing. You're to be growing and being more like Christ. I wonder if you're a follower of Christ today, are you more like Jesus today than you were Yesterday. Are we more like Jesus today than yesterday? And we know that that path is sometimes an up and down path, but what's the trajectory? Where's the trend lines going? Are we becoming more like Jesus? Now, finally, he wraps this up in verse 3. 
And everyone who has this hope, the hope of appearing, of being like Christ, fixed on him, purifies himself just as he, God, Christ, is pure. See, hope results in purity. The hope of being like Christ in the future, everyone who has this hope will do a certain thing. We will purify ourselves. Uh, it's interesting, in the, in the Greek, this, this word is used seven times in the New Testament. It can either be ceremonial or moral purity. Most likely, it's ceremonial purity here. Uh, if you've been to, to Israel, uh, as they've uncovered things, you go into what's called a mikvah. In the Old Testament, and even up into the Second Temple period, uh, into Herod's Temple, on the way to worship on the feast days, uh, we'll, we'll take that, that example. As a priest would go up to the temple, they would go into a mikvah. And the mikvah was fed by spring water or a river. So it was water. And they would get in and they would submerge themselves on the top of their head. And they'd get out and they put on clean robes. And the priest would ascend. A, a ritual purity, as it were, to signify, yes, to get the dirt off of them because they were going to serve in the temple of God. And so they would purify themselves, they would cleanse themselves in doing that. Now in the New Testament, we don't have the cleansing of the outside body. Yes, please take a shower, please wash your hands. We, we will all appreciate that when we all do that. But God here in the New Testament is concerned with the cleansing of the heart. And while we may not go down into a mikvah and and perform the ritual of purity of bathing ourselves, it is by the word of God, the Holy Spirit, using his word, that we are clean, we're cleansed. So we have that, that purity going. And what John is saying is the one who is Christ's, the one who is desiring to look like Christ, will continue this path of growing to be more like Christ, and will continue to purify himself to be like Christ. And not ceremonially on the outside, but in the inside, we will cleanse ourselves. We'll be pure. Why? So we can have a crown of gold or something like that? No, because Jesus is pure. See, John is setting up this, this logic train here, as it were. that he's, he's saying, you are a child of God because of the love of the Father. And the world is not going to understand you and what you do. But regardless of that... You will continue to be more and more like Christ as you live. And sometimes, often, that means to purify yourself because Christ is pure. You're to be more and more like Him. Why? Because you're a child of God. You're a child of God. If you can name the name of Christ, if God has His imprint in you, the Scripture talks about the seal of the Holy Spirit. If God has His imprint on you, then you're going to want to be like Jesus. You're going to want to be like Jesus. And that looks different for, for many of us in different ways. See, the hope of being like Jesus impacts today. It impacts tomorrow as we live. And I wonder, if you're a follower of Christ today, would you be able to say that you're in the constant process of purifying yourself? I'm not talking about a legalistic form of doing things so people will look at you and say, oh, look, you're doing good things. And so they'll pat you on the back. It is all about you and God. Will other people see? Possibly. They'll see and they'll, maybe they'll be encouraged to follow Christ more. 
but you're a child of God. I am a child of God. It's how I live before God. It's how God's word works in me and changes me. How he changes you. Is he changing you? Are you allowing yourself to be changed each day? You know, you and I can look great on the outside. We can have the best of everything. We can be really, really clean. Even behind our ears. And still be inside a wretched mess. God is concerned with the heart. That's what John is writing here. Child of God has hope that hope impacts daily life. So repeat after me. Because of God's love, I am God's child. Right? Because, because of God's love, I am God's child. Two, I'll say it first and you say it. Because I am God's child, the world doesn't understand me. Because I am God's child, the world does not understand me. Third one, because I am God's child, I desire to grow to be like Jesus. Because I am God's child, I desire to grow to be like Jesus. And fourth, because I am God's child, my hope is in him. And I want to be pure like Jesus. Because I am God's child, my hope is in him. And I want to be pure to be like Jesus. You, know, you and I must take every step necessary to purify our heart. Sometimes we have to be ruthless. We can't give ourselves any quarter. We can't be easy on ourselves. We have to be strong. God doesn't say, just sit back and I'll zap you. And I'll make you right. This morning, John writes to the joy of knowing that you are God's child. You know, I think sometimes we, we forget who we are as a child. We'll close with this final illustration to kind of give us the understanding. Um, a man by the name of um, Jamie Buckman in his, his book, Power for Living, tells the story of a man uh, by, by the name of Fred Craddock. And Fred was lecturing at Yale University. And he told the story of one summer going to Gatlinburg, Tennessee for a short vacation. Many of us can identify with that. So one night they, they sat down at a nice restaurant, a little quiet meal, just he and his wife. And while they were waiting there, a distinguished man came and was moving throughout the room. And he was going from table to table. And um, Fred was like, oh, great. Uh, you know, this is a quiet meal. He's thinking to himself, just romantic meal, my wife and I. And so I hope he doesn't come over here. In fact, he said that verbally. I hope he doesn't come over here to his wife. But the man did. He said, where are you folks from? And so... Um, Fred told him where they were from, from Oklahoma. Splendid state, although I haven't been there. How long have you been living? What do you do? I've been living there asking. So what do you do for a living? And Fred was, he taught homiletics at a seminary. So he said, I teach. He goes, oh, so you teach preachers, huh? He goes, yeah. Well, i got a story for you. And so Fred's thinking, oh, great, another preacher story <laughs> where I'm the butt of the joke. He sat down. He said, um, he said um, well, I'm Ben Hooper, by the way. He said, uh, I'll tell you a story. He said, uh, I was born not far from here in the mountains. My mother wasn't married, and I was born. I had a hard time. I was illegitimate. I started school. My classmates always laughed at me because I didn't have a father. 
and they called me names that weren't very nice, and I would go off by myself at recess and lunch and just stay by myself. He said, um, he said worse would go into church. Um, going to church. He said, but I would do that. We had a new te- a preacher in town, and so at the age of 12 years old, I decided I'd slip into church to hear him, but I had a plan that whenever I went to church, I would leave when the preacher started doing his final prayer, and that way I wouldn't have to talk to him. He said, so I listened to the message. He said, but uh, he prayed so quickly and finished, I didn't get a chance to get out of my seat. So I had to walk out with the rest of the choir, the rest of the crowd. He said, I came to the door, and I looked up and kind of sheepishly looked at the man's hand and shook his hand. And the pastor said, this new preacher said, whose son are you? What boy are you? And inside, this guy is just, you know, he's just dying again. He said, he felt the old weight come back to me. He said, even the preacher was putting me down. He said, he looked up at the preacher's face, and before he could say anything, the, the preacher said, wait a minute, I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You're a son of God. So with that, he slapped me on the back. He said, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go out and claim it. The old man looked across the table and said, Fred, that was the single most important sentence that any man ever said to me. So with that, he smiled and shook the hand of Fred and his wife and walked off. And Fred remembered suddenly that he remembered why he thought the name Ben Hooper was familiar. Ben Hooper was the past governor of Tennessee. See, a single sentence by a pastor's changed the trajectory of this boy's life, this man's life. And when we forget that we are God's child, the calling to mind of the great love of the Father on us that he loved us so much that he would send his son to die upon the cross for us. That if we are a follower of Christ, should change how we live. Should change us to be more, to desire to be more like Christ. We have an inheritance that no one can take away. We have a name upon us that no one can remove from us. We are God's child. We have a father who is wonderful, a father who is eternal, a father who has given us inheritance in him. So we should live up to that name as a child of God. Let's bow for prayer. Grace God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that for us who are here to know Jesus, we are your children. And it gives us great awe. We don't understand why you would love us so but we praise you. May we live like you. Oh God, if there are those here who do not know Jesus as their Savior, I pray that you would be real to them, that your love would be overwhelming for them, that they would see the love that you have for them and they would receive by faith the grace that you extend for salvation. Would you do a work in hearts and lives? Would we live like your children? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.